and welcome to So What's the Problem, in which we rewatch a movie from our youth to determine if it's problematic by today's standards. I'm Jen. And I'm Jimmy. Today we'll be discussing Kate and Leopold, which was released in the US on Christmas Day 2001 and in the UK and Ireland on the 5th of April uh, 2002. Written by James Mangold and Stephen Rogers, directed by Mangold. It stars Meg Ryan, Hugh Jackman, Lee Schreiber, Bradley Whitford, Natasha Leone, and Breckenmeyer. Jimmy and I have thought of three problems the movie has, three each, and we'll discuss them. We also have thought of one positive. And you've never seen this before, right? I saw it today for the very first time. In my <laughs> okay. <life. Yeah. laughs> so no history with it whatsoever. What's yours? Um, I saw it in the theater because I'll see pretty much any romantic comedy with Meg Ryan in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up, and I saw it with my now husband, and uh, we both really, really liked it. And then... Like, the next night or the night after that, he had family members in town, and they were all going to go see it, and they invited us, and we liked it enough that we're like, yeah, let's go see it for, like, the second <laughs> time this weekend. Um, and the and I bought it as soon as it came out on DVD, and the hilarious thing, and I mean, this is, like, 2001, right? Yeah. DVD probably came out, like, 2002. Um, there's a director's cut on it, which, to be honest, that's what I watched, so I saw something, probably saw something different from you. But the, it has the theatrical cut and the director's cut, and it was yeah. it was early early in DVDs, and there was so much information on it that it was hard to get it to actually play on DVD players. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. There was just too like I think I had a DVD player it just wouldn't play on because there was too much stuff on it. I think I watched the director's cut. I'm not sure. We'll we'll talk about it. Okay. Um. Yeah. Well. I. Uh. This is a movie. Um, <laughs> you didn't like it? <laughs> not really. Not really. Um, Boo. The, oh, come on. You can't, <laughs> can't love everything, Jen. It's, um, it's, it's, there are far, far better romantic comedies out there. I'm not a romantic comedy hater whatsoever. I do mm. like a good romantic comedy. Um, I, I didn't like this. There's a lot in it. There's stuff in it I do like. I don't hate it. It's fine. Well, I'm not a hater. Uh, even mm-hmm. Meg Ryan doesn't seem interested in this movie. She just, like, every time her character is shouting at people, I just think that's just Meg Ryan just going, you know what, I've done this hundreds of times. Wow. I don't care anymore. I'm just, because I think this is the last romantic comedy she did, at least for a while. She, yeah. she hasn't really done much since then. Since this movie, she did movies where she got her boobs out in her what forties, so good for her. Mm-hmm. But she—that was her saying, "I don't give a shit about romantic comedies anymore. I'm doing these different types of movies." So I think she just doesn't care in this. I mean, that may have been the case, but it's also this is around the time when the romantic comedy started to die. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a certain plus. She was in her forties, so I think mm-hmm. she wasn't. She probably wasn't getting offered romantic comedies at that point. True, very very true. I'm I'm not a fan. I'm afraid. But uh, I there is stuff I do like in it, and one of them may actually surprise you. Okay. Yeah, I'll just say it just now. I like Breckenmeyer in this movie. He doesn't annoy me. Um, usually Breckenmeyer annoys me, and I can't stand him. I've seen him in stuff I do like him in, but uh, but this movie I liked him. I like his character. So there you go. Right. So what is your first problem? Um, when Breckenmeyer's trying to prove that he can act, he does an Indian accent. <laughs> I, 
I don't think his character would be doing that today. No. Also, his British accent had too many, like, Australian <laughs> qualities. He was not good at that. He said He crikey. said crikey. Yeah, yeah, he said crikey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, British, well, English, English people, let's say, you will hear, like, an old English person, like, a uh, back in, maybe even back in Leopold's days, maybe say crikey. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is more uh, an Australian thing. Yeah, he he does he does do an accent that he maybe shouldn't do. Uh, and my first problem is the score just pissed me off. It just annoyed me. You know, I don't like these constant happy dinky 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 scores, and it's like yeah, especially right at the very beginning. It got better as it went on. Mm-hmm. The score at the beginning of the movie just annoyed me. There was a point where I was like, I like the score, and I was like, I bet Jimmy's going to hate it. Yeah. Yeah, I did. But, like, I liked the sort of jazz music that was playing when the chase was happening, when mm-hmm. he was chasing the guy. But then it went into, like, a full orchestral score when it was in the horse, and that's fine. I like that sort of stuff. The best example I have, um, and you might not know this because I don't think you ever watched Doctor Who, um... But, like, the new Doctor Who, when it came out in 2005, they had a, a composer called Murray Gold. Mm-hmm. And he's a very talented man. His um, his themes for the characters and some of his action score um, in Doctor Who is fantastic. But then he would just have this sort of, sort of cheerful music all the way through comedy bits. And that's what I hate. It's like... Putting music over bits that are supposed to be funny isn't necessary. Music's trying to amplify the scene, and you don't need that in a comedy scene. You don't need to get told when to laugh. Mm-hmm. It's like the equivalent of having a laugh track. So I, I just I just don't like too much score in a comedy movie is my problem. So I'm a bit a crabbit bastard today. I'm a bit grumpy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's your second problem? Well, first, I want to mention something that was almost a problem, because um, mm-hmm. I was I had to write down a few things because was, it was hard for me to find problems with it because I love this movie so much. Um, but I did want to mention something. Yeah. So at one point, they give um, Leah Schreiber an antipsychotic, mm-hmm. and um, I realized how often in movies and stuff, like they'll give somebody an antipsychotic because they're acting like so crazy or whatever. Mm-hmm. C- can we not? I take an antipsychotic. Like it's yeah. it's not I take it for my um for my bipolar, like it's a it's a mood stabilizer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also they also give my medication to people who have seizures to stop seizures. And I realized, oh, this is like actually part of why I have I mean, obviously the wording itself can sound scary if somebody prescribes it to you, but I was like, no wonder I had such an attitude towards it at first because in movies, they act like an antipsychotic is like such a big deal when it's really it's pretty normal. Yeah, and not only that, the doctor gives him one after one session because he's mm-hmm. only been in the hospital for a couple of days. Yeah, um, if that, um, so because they've only got a week before Leopold has to go back. Mm-hmm. So you know, it seems a bit rushed, and fair enough, that's movie logic. Um. I get why they had to keep him in hospital mm-hmm. um, for the plot purposes, but he doesn't need to get put into a mental hospital. He didn't that that wasn't necessary. 
Um, he already had the accident. It's um, mm-hmm. I think it's just like well, we've cast Leif Schreiber. Um, he's he's an up and comer. Uh, he's done a few movies since uh, before now. Uh, people know who he is. We need to give him more stuff to do. Mm-hmm. So that's why he has these scenes with the the, the doctor and and with the I don't know if she's a nurse or a I don't know what that Gretchen was, but yeah, that scene where he's talking to Gretchen. Uh, uh, and that speech that it has about you know time and about the dog and stuff is fantastic, and mm-hmm. that is quite possibly my favorite scene in the entire movie. Really? Uh, yeah, because it's so well acted, and her her performance just sitting there watching him say this and crying. Um, I don't know. I just love that. I just thought that was that was. A she's really good. Movie. I feel like every time I watch it, I end up looking her up on IMDb to see if she's done anything else. Like she's, yeah. and she. I like her look too. She's mm. very beautiful. Like I like her hair. Like I'm always, I'm always quite taken with Gretchen. Yeah, she's very pretty, Gretchen. But my second problem is actually a problem I have with many TV shows and movies. Mm-hmm. Um, when she's giving the speech at the end and then she's realizing like she looks at the pictures and she sees herself in the pictures and she starts babbling about like when you find the one you love and all that stuff and it doesn't make any sense with her speech i hate that occasionally they'll do that in a movie or something where what they're saying still goes along with their speech yeah but i just no one would do that i wish she would just i wish they would just have her go like just say i'm sorry i gotta go and then go yeah you know, I actually think what you're describing, your problem, I think that's a sign of laziness in writing, like mm-hmm. having them just babble. I think it is much more creative to actually have them say something that's along the lines of what they're supposed to be saying, because that gives a writer, you know, right, how am I going to work this into that, mm-hmm. rather than, blah, 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 or, you know, just who granting it. And it's like, yeah. And I also think that just walking away is also lazy. Um, well, I feel I feel like but they it's the best they, way to do it. <laughs> they want us to know what's going on in the person's head, which is obviously yeah. why they do that. But like, because they think the audience isn't smarter. But I'm pretty sure we would all get, even without her saying anything, that she looked at the pictures, saw herself, realized she's supposed to be with him, and she's leaving. Right? Yeah. And you could even add that exposition to like the scene with Charlie and Stuart. Right. Like there's other ways to do it. But and it's that kind of thing where I get uncomfortable, like the whole public humiliation thing. And it's like, can you imagine like in real life, somebody giving a speech and then it turns into that? And it's I I can't handle it. It's it's it it feels too embarrassing for me. Makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I think I think as a writer, if you're trying to be clever with something, which they're trying to do with the whole, you know, time travel thing, which gets a bit Mm -hmm. confusing. But time travel is always confusing to me. It is. Um, but at least try and work what she's saying into the speech she's supposed to be given. I think that's a far more creative thing to do than just babbling or, you know. Anyway, my second problem is uh, Kate shocks a dog <coughs> just to get to Stuart because she knows that Stuart will take it off so she can shock Stuart. And yeah. that's shit. So, mm-hmm. F you, Kate. I don't like you. Sorry. <laughs> I don't care if you get your man at the end. Don't give a shit. Don't like you. And she's also 
like really fucking annoying throughout. <laughs> she just, she's just angry and ah, it just annoys the piss out of me. But anyway, the dog. She 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 um she shocked the dog and that's not on. I did think that was pretty shitty. It's very shitty. And we're supposed. I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to like her, but we should be, you know, liking her because mm-hmm. she is the she is the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Even though she says, "I'm not a protagonist in a major motion picture." Ha ha ha! Funny line. Um, but yeah, I don't like that bit. So what's uh, what's your next problem? Okay, here's where we need to establish whether or not you watched the director's cut. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning, when um, Hugh Jackman is chasing after Leah Shriver, mm-hmm. and they run out of the the place where they're having the party, um, do you see? Ma- did you see Meg Ryan there? Yes. Okay, so you watched the director's cut. Okay, because that wasn't in the theatrical cut. She wasn't there at the beginning in the theatrical cut. Yeah. So the director's cut, the big, big difference is the fact... Yeah. That, um, okay. Yeah. Come on, you can see it, Jen. It's my fun problem. Come on. Kate, Kate is Stuart's, like, great, great, grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. And that's icky, Mm -hmm. um, to say the least, because she was with him for several years. So you you have to assume they had sex. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I my problem is like and it, I don't even know if it's a fair problem if it's like if it's just the director's cut. I feel I can't remember if in the theatrical cut he said that he was related to him because I thought he did, but then some of the stuff I read said he didn't. Um, apparently, but yeah, the, apparently it was cut just before release. They cut out the line "He's my great great grandfather" before the okay okay and cut out Meg Ryan, which you know they should have kept that cut out. It makes no sense. But there you go. Carry on. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you see her there at the beginning. Um, yeah, it, it spoils but, it. It ruins the movie. Ruins its own twist. But it's still well. It, but it's it's a moment where you're like kind of shocked. But I think a lot. Of, I know that I would have forgotten about it already by like ten minutes later. Yeah, not, not everyone is not everyone. Bad memory. <laughs> well, it's also a romantic comedy, so we kind of know what's going to happen, right? Like we know no, that's they're going to end enough, up together. But, but as we're watching the movie, we don't know that she's going to travel back in time. We don't know that's how it's going to end. Yeah, but he's but they've got to, so the elevators work again. No, I know that, but we don't know. I mean, why did they, why did they even have to get back? Why did they even have to get together? I know it's a romantic comedy, but sometimes you can have romantic comedies where it doesn't happen, and yeah. uh, because that's that is my problem. We have the same problem, but my problem expands to the fact that he has to go back in time to stop um, the elevators from disappearing because he created the elevator and that's going to fuck up history or whatever. But it's perfectly Mm. okay for a modern woman to go back in time and live there for the rest of her life. And that doesn't disturb anything. See, I I like it, but then I, I just keep thinking about like, the narrative after she leaves that like she yeah. she got this promotion she she gave this speech she seemed like she should be having a great night and then she went and jumped off the brooklyn bridge like this is the narrative that everyone in her life is going to hear yeah she committed suicide yeah either that or if they don't find out about the brooklyn bridge thing they think she just disappeared and then somebody does a podcast about her someday you yeah know, like <laughs> 
Yeah. It's crazy. But yeah, the whole thing where they're related. I actually, it's kind of a problem because it's gross, but it also kind of cracks me up. So I don't know. It baffles me. Yeah, just the narrative of like what people think about her has always fascinated me. Mm-hmm. Um, because she just disappears. She's she's not going to be back. And um, but then I realized like one nice thing is that you know the first time I saw it, I was like. Well, how will they know she made it there? Okay, and I'm like, well, they can look in the fucking history books. Also, yeah. they have that picture. They have that picture of her there, but like, they yeah. can verify this stuff. But there, See, there was. Sorry, I like that. I like the picture reveal. Mm-hmm. I like that idea, right? That he because we see Stuart and he's just taking pictures and he's not really watching. Mm-hmm. He's not really looking because he's trying to be covert and just he's not really paying attention. And I like that because she was right in front of him and he didn't see her. Yeah. Which, you know, is also goes towards the whole him ignoring her when, you know, him, uh, what's the word? Uh, not ignoring her, but him being distant and stuff when they were dating and just sort mm. of um, not paying attention to her and stuff like that. It's true. She was right in front of him and he didn't notice. <laughs> so, yeah. But I like that. But then, and the director's cut it is spoiled because we see her right at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. But, you know. Sorry, carry on. Oh, um, I was just going to say there was a deleted scene where they're in the cab on the way there and they put together that they're related and they're just kind of like, let's not, let's not talk about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's just, um, why I put that in there? It's just really weird. It's like, what are you, what are you doing, James Mangold? I think. I don't know. I think James Mangold is just like, right, if I have to do a romantic comedy, I'm just going to, you know. Just shove everything in there. I'm going to shove incest in there. I don't care. Fuck it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I love a bit. Sorry. Oh, I love James Mangold. I just want to put that out there. I love him. No, it's, uh, he's I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Talent. Yeah, he's a talented man. I like his Marvel movies. He's one of those directors that does completely different movies all mm-hmm. the time. Like he he is not in one genre. Yeah. And even his Wolverine movies, like, I didn't see the first one he did, but I saw Logan, and I know Logan's very different from the other Wolverine movies. It is. It definitely is. Even making them, like, tonally, you know, he made something very, very different. And, yeah. once again, worked with Hugh Jackman and Liev Schreiber. Yeah, exactly. No, he didn't. Not Liev Schreiber. I thought Liev Schreiber was in one of them. No. No. Okay. I thought I read that. No, Liev um, Schreiber is in X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is directed by someone else okay the guy's name but uh he mango directed the wolverine and logan uh they're both just hugh jackman and Les Schreiber's no in them so. okay i can't I, I can't even i don't even know what other movies james mango's directed apart from the wolverine ones let me uh because i i really like his filmography so let's see um he did well, his first movie was a movie called Heavy, which had um, Liv yeah, Tyler Vince. and, yeah, Prue Taylor Vince. And I don't remember very well, but I remember liking it. And then he did Copland, which I want—I only wanted to watch Copland after I found out he directed it, because at that point I was a fan. This was, like, after he'd done a couple more movies. And I couldn't find it anywhere. It was out of, it was out of print. And by the time I was able to get my hands on a copy, I didn't care anymore. <laughs> so I still haven't seen Copland. He, did Girl, Inter- he did Girl Interrupted. Right. Uh, Identity. Do you remember Identity? Right, okay. Uh, uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince is in that as well. 
Mm-hmm. Walk the Line. Right. 310 to Yuma. Yeah. Uh, Night and Day, which I, I love a good action comedy. Yeah. Wolverine, Logan, Ford versus Ferrari. And then he has like 10 upcoming projects, including Indiana Jones 5. Yeah, that's right. He's directing that. Yeah, it's making me very excited. Very interesting for that movie. <laughs> so he doesn't have like a massive filmography, but I feel like his filmography is pretty solid. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a fan. But he's not like a household name or anything. No, we basically have the same problem. I don't get her going back in time, how that's okay. And because Stuart just says, it's fine, it's supposed to happen. It's like, that's not a fucking, that's not a good reason. It's supposed to happen. Anyway, positives. What's your positive? I've been thinking about this. This is tough because I just want to say the whole movie because I love the movie. Um, Yeah, but you know, the whole point of the podcast is to think I know, I know. We've had this discussion before. You need to try and separate your love for the movie. I know. So you say that Meg Ryan feels like she shouldn't be in it, but I think she's doing some interesting um, stuff in the movie. So I'll say her performance and and also um, the wardrobe, because they have her in this wardrobe that's just like a little more old fashioned. Yeah. Like the collars and stuff, which I think is an interesting touch. Um, But physically, she moves in a more masculine way in this movie yeah, the way she no, the I'm way she sits it. and and stands and stuff and it's clear that she she's i mean she's just not she's not just in there just doing the meg ryan thing like she has thought about this character and she is making this character be much less feminine and i think that what she's doing is very interesting like you can really tell how she is putting thought into how she is carrying herself physically that's fair enough yeah yeah she has um she has done something different to what she usually does. Uh, so I'll concede that point. But my positive, I'll just go in the other direction then and say Hugh Jackman. <laughs> my positive because he's great in this movie. He's just really, really good and fun and um, likeable and charming. And, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's my positive. But it was almost Breckenmeyer, which is weird for me. But, I mean, the the cast is really good. Leah Schreiber is very good. Yes, he he's really good. You've got Viola Davis as a police officer. Yes, <laughs> that's true. For, for some reason. Well, uh, because it's early in her career. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, so, yeah. it's yeah. so crazy to watch these movies where somebody early in their career just has a few lines. And it's so funny because she's her picture is actually on one of the DVD menu pages. Oh, really? Um, and, and it's, it's not because it's Viola Davis because this DVD came out like this was yeah. like I purchased like the day the movie came out, and so she still wasn't known. But they just happen to have a still from that scene on the DVD menu. Yeah, is that because she's one of the only black people in the movie? <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, but yeah, I think the whole cast is is really really good in this movie, and they help make it. I mean, I think they're all very charming. I, I do like Hugh Jackman in this, and Liv Schreiber, and uh, even Natasha Leon. I think she's good. Mm-hmm. And this is this is amount of time. Sorry, 
this is when Liev Schreiber, or not Liev Schreiber, um, Hugh Jackman is still new, right? Like, we've seen mm-hmm. him in X-Men, but um, 2001, he had two different romantic comedies come out, and they're both kind of forgotten. Um, the other one was called Someone Like You, and it was him and Ashley Judd, mm-hmm. and he plays um, a cocky jerk in the movie, and he's delightful. Um, I have that on DVD as well. Right. Um, but I, I can never find anyone who's ever seen it. It's based on a novel, Animal Hun- Husbandry, and I read the book, too, and it's, it's a... Cute movie. I actually almost picked it, and then I was just like, "No one's going to care about that." But yeah, the, it was. It showed. It was a good choice for him, I think, because it showed something incredibly different from from Wolverine. Yeah, I really just have one note because we've spoken about a lot of things. But did we really need to see the dog shit after the dog poops? Did we need to see it? Did we? I don't think we did. I um, I didn't. I hadn't thought about that because. We know what dog poop looks like. We don't need mm-hmm. to see it, right? right? And it's just my problem with some of the movie is some of the humour is at odds with other parts of the humour. I think mm-hmm. this this movie could survive on its dialogue because it has some good dialogue, it has some amusing lines, um, and it can survive on the charisma of its cast. It doesn't need the pratfalls. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need the dog poop for comic effect it's like the dog is pooping here it's poop haha isn't that funny we're showing you dog poops like no we don't need to see it we don't need to see Stuart falling in the hospital gurney as he's getting put into the ambulance we don't need that platform mm-hmm. that's not needed we don't need to see Stuart falling and getting hit by the door and Gretchen hits him by the door we don't need that mm-hmm. we don't need Kate falling off the chair we don't need that stuff because the movie can survive on its own as a romantic comedy with the actual comedy of the the characters of the lines and the dialogue. We don't need the stupid pratfalls and the dog poops. I think I think this is around the time when they started it seemed like it was mandated that in romantic comedies someone falls down a lot or something. Like or even um like in Mean Girls there's a part where she just like randomly falls into a face first into a trash can. It's not yeah. needed. It's completely unnecessary, but that's that's what they were doing at the time. And I don't understand like it feels like there must have been a movie where it tested really well when someone fell and then they just kept doing it. I mean I get that for something like um Mean Girls when it's aimed at a sort of younger audience. But it still feels out of place. It does, yeah. But it's like, if it's aimed at a teen audience and maybe there's younger kids watching it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already recorded next week's episode, which is Blind mm-hmm. Date. And that is a farce and that has a lot of slapstick in it. But um, that is part of the movie. Yeah. It's like the entire movie is a, a pratfall, basically. But it just seems out of place in this. I mean, like, yeah, you mentioned Meg Ryan falling in the chair, but I think a lot of the other stuff, like, so much of it happens to Leah Schreiber. And, yeah. th- you know, they put a thing in there where it's like, if he's related to Leopold and Leopold isn't in the past, like, he might cease to exist. So it just feels like all this stuff is happening to him because, like, he's not supposed to exist. And that, but like, that's Leopold. Not part of the movie, though. It's something he mentions at one point. Yeah, but the platform was, I mean, Gretchen hitting him with the door doesn't... It's just like he's constantly being damaged. And I don't know. I don't know. I thought it might have something to do with that. Well, it would be nice if that if they said that. Like, mm-hmm. work that in. Say something like he's slowly getting wiped out of existence. So, you know, 
time is trying to fuck him up. Say that. Yeah. And then I don't care. Um, what did you think about James Mangold? And this is this is a director's cut thing. James Mangold mm. playing a director railing against test audiences. Yeah. Yeah. You see, I, well, I kind of agree with him because I think test audiences are kind of pointless at times. They, they can work, but mm-hmm. I do think that entrusting like, what's going to be in a movie to a room full of people, just ordinary people, is a bit weird to me. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I, I liked that cameo. I didn't realise that's who it was until I read up later. I read the trivia. But, yeah, it's an interesting cameo. So what do you think about that, then, that sort of test audience thing? Have you ever been to a test audience? I've never... Well, I was supposed to say I've never, but I did once... Um... When Dylan and I were in Vegas, someone came up to us wanting, you know, asking us to be in a test audience and he didn't want to, but I was like, but what if you got to see something amazing? Right. Like, cause it was not just new stuff, but apparently they also tested like new episodes of Supernatural and stuff like that. And I was like, what? But it was a cooking show. And uh, so we were a test audience for a cooking show that I don't I don't know if it even made it onto the air. I also did once did because, um, you know, they'll do that thing where. I think Nielsen does it where, like, you watch it at home. Like, there's a certain channel where they would show something and you fill out a survey. And I did that once um, for a show. I mean, this is, like, 20 years ago. But And I've always been jealous of the people who, like, I remember somebody saying they were flipping through the channels and they just happened to see the pilot for Lost because they were doing a test thing for the pilot for Lost. So it was playing on one of the channels. Mm -hmm. And now I'm sure they would just send you a screener. which actually, now that I think about it, I have been sent screeners before for TV shows, so that might really? count too. But as, yeah, um, but as far as um, being pulled in off the street to test something, I've done it once, and I think Dylan hated me for it. But I was just like, "Why not? Why not? We've got nothing yeah. else to do. Let's, we could gamble our money away, or we could go be in a test audience." I mean, it's it's a different experience, isn't it? It's something that you haven't done before, so why not try it? Yeah. Well, and they, I haven't seen this in a really long time. I don't know. I don't know if they still do this. Um, But for the longest time they, and it was usually opening weekend of movies and occasionally a sneak preview. There would be people that would hand you surveys to take. And, you know, at the end of the movie, you take the survey and you hand it back to them. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. And I, so I've done that quite a few times, but I haven't, I don't think, I don't think I've done that in over 10 years. Um, right. So they probably, whatever they do, they probably do it online now. Um, but they, that used to happen all the time here. So. Yeah. And I like doing that kind of thing because I'm going to be less harsh. Because from everything I hear about test audiences, it's like, they sound mean. Like, mm-hmm. things, and I get that occasionally something good comes out of a test audience. Same thing where, like, you hear about how network notes on TV shows or whatever, or studio notes are awful and you know you'll hear what some of them are and they seem like they usually are pretty awful but occasionally one goes through that's actually really good like you'll hear that rare story but i honestly i don't i don't i don't love the test audience because i feel like that leads to the way they treat us as an audience as idiots because i mean they're pulling in people like at the mall who happen to have a couple hours free right like you're not going to get a wide range of people if you're no, doing that and um, the demographics are not going to be very widespread. And so like, cause like Dylan is a very, very smart viewer. Um, 
and has some pretty strong opinions, he would never stop everything he was doing to go see a two hour movie that no one has told him what it is. You know, like there's a lot of, I would probably do it, but that's because I'm a sucker and I have FOMO and I'm afraid I'm going to miss something good. But like, (laughs) you're not going to get, it's going to, it's got to be hard to get, you know, a a wide range of people in those things. And I just think I, it's one thing if it's the kind of thing where they call people in, like when they were doing the, the margarine thing Mm -hmm. and they had those women watching it. That might be like it looked like maybe it could even be something where they called people in, but the the screening of the movie looked like it was probably one of those things that they just pulled people in off the street. I don't know. I I'm sick of being treated like an idiot with TV shows and movies, and then hearing that the reason I was treated that way is because the studio thought I should be. So yeah. I was all for his his railing against it, um, and you could tell like that was just something he needed to do to get out of the system. Like there's a reason why he put it in the director's cut, you know? And you, you know, my least favorite thing ever that was affected by a test audience, right? Well, um, when they showed home alone two to test audiences, uh, um, it was a longer cut and there was stuff in there that they didn't think they were going to keep, including that Trump cameo. Like it was just in that cut, but they were going to get rid of it. And when Trump came on screen, the audience freaked out and got really excited for some reason. And there was like an applause. And so he kept it in because of the test audience. He only shot it because he was required to to film at the plaza. Right. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> if you film on a Trump property, you're only allowed to do it if you film, if you give him a scene. And most right. people just cut it out. Like there's a bunch of movies he shot stuff for that he's just not in because um, everybody yeah. knows it's stupid. But he he stayed in Home Alone, too, because of a test audience. Remember when Donald Trump was in an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? No, I remember do not. that happened. Yeah. I don't remember that. He was in an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Ugh. It's the worst. <laughs> I know he was on an episode of Sex and the City. Oh, really? Things that take place in New York, like there, you know, there was a time where it was like you had to throw him in there because he was like a New York thing. Yeah. No, see, I understand that, but he's gross. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's all we have time for. We've already said what the next movie is because we've already recorded it. (laughs) Um, I haven't edited edited it yet, but you know, that's next on my agenda. But it's Blind Date from 1987, starring Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger. And then after that, we are taking the last two weeks of February off. So, yay! Yay! Uh, Yeah. So, Blind Date will be our Valentine's Day movie. Strange how that worked out. But Well, we've planned it, but it's still strange that I picked Blind Date to be the Valentine's Day movie. Could have been Mm. any other romantic comedy, but I picked Blind Date. So, you know, tune in for that next week. At Drop the Pack Pod is the Twitter address. Um, Twitter handle, whatever the fuck you call it. Uh, the email address is contact at shiftybest.co.uk because the website is shiftybest.co.uk. Where can people follow you on the internet, Jim? Uh, you can find me at, at Pilot Inspectors on Twitter, and I have a Party 5 Rewatch podcast called Closer to Free. Excellent. Uh, thank you all for listening. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye.